from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. Holla at your boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Nathan Drinker and I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. As a reminder, we're on Anchor. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on bunch of other ones as well you can also locate us at the a drink of wisdom youtube channel for the video format lots of great things going on up there drink oh, yeah. great to have you along as always hey man I'm, and i'm glad to be along you know what i'm saying but you know i got i got to um find out what's going on over there with you how everything going on in in, in jay's world oh everything's going well man how about you man now you know i can't complain another day another dollar um we got to give the streets what they need we see what they don't we say what they want set your plate it's time to eat and last but not least let's talk some sports baby let's roll jay all right episode 75 and the final episode of season two if you can believe that Tom Brady is going to play some defense. The Big 12 plays offense, and we look ahead to a packed opening week in college football. But we start with Thursday night action in the Big 10, where the the Ohio State University uh, went on the road to face the P.J. Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And Ohio State ends up getting their first win of the season. The fourth-ranked Buckeyes beating Minnesota 45-31. to Nip and tuck game throughout the first half and into the third quarter. Minnesota actually led at 1.21-17. Uh, but eventually Ohio State was able to pull away and they do win this game by two touchdowns. Uh, trying to move on in the post-Justin Fields era. Their freshman quarterback, C.J. Stroud, ends up throwing for four touchdowns, two of them to the All-American receiver, Chris Olave. Uh, meanwhile, Minnesota got a big, big performance on the ground from their uh, third-team All-American running back, Muhammad Ibrahim. He had 30 carries, 163, year, 163 yards and two touchdowns before leaving in the third quarter with an injury. Uh, and that was, that probably played into some of the reason that Ohio State was able to pull away in this game. Drink, uh, what would you uh, what'd you take away from last night? Well, listen, man, it, it seems to me, um, in a nutshell, right, so it, and when you're talking about the overall um, totality of what happened, Ohio State 45, Minnesota 31, I think just for that, if I'm talking about that, all that was was, Listen, Ohio State had more talent. They was the more talented team. I heard somebody mention this. I don't remember exactly who it was, but they, they made a comment. They was like, listen, Ohio State's worst player on offense is better than Minnesota's best player on defense. And I, I, I started looking at that, and I'm like, might have a point here. And I don't even know all the players on offense. But I think he had a point there because, you know, Ohio State is one of those teams like the Alabamas of the world, like the Georgias of the world, 
um, the LSU of the world. They, they, they recruit at a high level, usually always um, finish within the top five of every year's recruiting class when Urban Meyer was there. Hell, when Jim Trussell was there, they was doing it. So, um, you know, Ryan Data came up and kind of upped the ante. Um, but, hey, listen, I, he he's out here. I, I hear that Ryan Day is a risk taker. And, listen, this is a risky move, rolling out your, your freshman quarterback, uh, C.J. Stroud out there, you know, First game on the road, you know, Minnesota was a team we've been we've been talking about here lately in the last two to three years, um, being, being a, a major player in the Big Ten. So this was a big test for him. Let's not get it wrong. Let's not get it twisted. Just because, you know, Ohio State is who they are and Minnesota hasn't played well as of late, you know, COVID year and then, you know, they probably didn't have the, um, the, the year before that. But listen, Minnesota is a team. And as you see, P.J. Fleck is a coach. But it, it, it was obvious, like, what needed to happen here. It's obvious. Like, Ohio State knew. You know what? It, it almost reminded me last night when I was looking at this. It, it gave me somewhat of the vibe of, like, Alabama, the, the 2020 Alabama team when it started. Like, the offense was just, just crazy, right? So, the offense was so good that the defense was like average in the beginning of the season um and it didn't matter because the offense was so good it was just like hey just if the defense can get us five stops we good we're gonna win this game that's kind of what that's what i thought about um the game last night um you mentioned muhammad uh abraham um listen that that guy was he was the minnesota offense like until um Dalen Wright caught that one touchdown, which was a beautiful catch, by the way. That the, the touchdown in the um, back of the end zone over the defender, um, Muhammad was he was the, he was the offense. Like for all intents and purposes, that guy was the Minnesota offense. Um, it was plenty of plays where he carried Ohio State defenders like down the field on his back, running them over, stepping on them, wiping off his cleats. He was he was making some noise out there last night, um, but. Listen, at the end of the day, you, you I can give you, what, two people on the offense that really made some noise for Minnesota? That's it. Like, you know, Tanner Morgan here, 14 for 25 for 205 yards, one in the, one touchdown and zero interceptions. Uh, that's cool. But you ain't beating Ohio State with that. I'm sorry. You Yeah, yeah, you, you'll beat Michigan State with that, but you ain't beating Ohio State with that. I can tell you that right now. Um, So... That Minnesota found out some things. Now let me let me throw a caveat out here. I do know Minnesota was missing that their number one receiver coming into this season. He uh, he did dress for warmups. Guess he went through the, the pre-game drills and they decided that he just wasn't healthy enough to play the game and they really needed him. Cause I had you know in in the first quarter of this game, I sent you a message. I'm like, man, I don't know what Minnesota doing. These wide receivers doing, but they ain't giving um Tanner Morgan no help. I mean, that first possession, I can't tell you how many times Tanner Morgan brings the ball in. He he looking down the field, no separation whatsoever down the field, and he just got to keep it and try to get him a little cheap two to three yards. You can't put your quarterback in that position and, and expect, you know, success, longevity with that. You got to get him, like, an opportunity to at least throw the ball down the field. Um, and, and I, you know, 
Dylan, Dylan Wright, I'm, I'm giving him his flaws. He, he came alive. But I, I, I wasn't really enamored with his consistency because he made a good catch, and then next possession, you know, he dropped one, and then he dropped a few of them, and then that one possession, <laughs> it was one possession where, where Morgan throw him one across the field. He see uh, 41 for Ohio State, uh, Josh Proctor coming across. He was like, nope, I ain't doing it. He just let the ball fly right past him. He said, I'm not doing it. Nope, not today. Um, and I, I can't necessarily say I blame him, but I did notice that. Uh, he was like, nope, not doing it. Um, but, but you know, here's the deal. College, play, college teams recruit for a reason, right? And that reason was on display last night. Um, listen, C.J. Stroud, that, that guy was, a, a, you know, a number one quarterback um, coming out of California. On the sideboard, do you know the top three quarterbacks that come out of California in the last two years was Bryce Young, DJU, and C.J. Stroud? And none of those three stayed in California. Just to throw or the Pac-12. Or the Pac-12. Or the Pac-12. Or the Pac-12, <laughs> right. Right. You got SEC, you got ACC, and you got the Big Ten. Imagine that, right? Um, but uh, the, the talent was on display, man. You had Mike, oh, Mayan Williams. Listen, that, that, that touchdown run, first of all, I don't know what, what Minnesota was doing on defense. I don't. I mean, the man, he stiffed on one player, and that was it. It was done. Done. Beeline it. Um, my man could have kept running the counter though if he wanted to. Like he was, he was out of here. Uh, that that play had Minnesota had zero chance to stop that play because the defensive call on that play was ridiculous. Um, you had the the young the young up and comer, the the guy that was greatly hyped in the, in, in the preseason um, when he signed Travion Henderson. He came in, he made an impact, caught a screen pass. And um, let's just say that was another Minnesota miscue where I was like, yeah. So when I see plays like that, that's why I do believe when people say the worst guy that Ohio State had on offense was better than the best guy that Minnesota had on defense because, I mean, at some point Ohio State just realized they was Ohio State and then they did what they do. And when I say did what they do, I would be remiss if I don't talk about these All-Americans that they got in the wide receiver core. And listen, you, I hear a lot of chatter about Ohio State probably have the best and deepest wide receiver core in the nation. We'll have to figure that out as the season go. But I can't argue with that now. Chris Olave, listen, been a fan of the guy. Didn't really do much in the national championship game. But listen, <laughs> that happened when you played Alabama last year. They figured things out, right? Um, but, yo, Chris Olave... Hey, this dude, this dude is good. Like, he, I don't even know how he got so open on a couple of plays. Like, it was the one, one the, his first touchdown where, like, you know, Stroud kind of back there looking, looking, looking. Minnesota playing the I don't give up defense. I don't know what they was doing. The best player on the offense out here just running around here pitching a tent, selling hot dogs out of a truck. You don't, you can't find them. He, he gets wide open. Stroud floats it over the linebacker, and then that's a touchdown. I, Minnesota, it just, like, Minnesota, like, you was doing good, then it, it kind of, it looks as if they got laxed or something. I don't know. Or maybe, like I said, Ohio State realized they was Ohio State. And then, you know, from now on, the, the second touchdown, Olave scored in the second half. Didn't seem like much. It seemed like a play that should have been stopped. But, once again, Minnesota out here. 
lost in the sauce, stuck in the mud. You get you a little. He, I, I think the ball on the travel like I want to say like twenty yards or something. I want to say it wasn't like a super long pass, but Olave catches it, turns around, sees that there's nobody in front of him, and he's like, "All right then," and he just takes off. If you actually look at the touchdowns that they scored, they scored. It wasn't a whole lot of. Um, was, they were easy. Yeah, it wasn't a whole lot of ad- adversity. You know, it wasn't a whole lot of obstacles to those end zones. It was pretty much. I catch the ball. I look. I see there's nobody in front of me. I'm just gonna keep running, and that's that was the night for the Minnesota defense. Now, the one caveat I did want to make about Ohio State, um, as far as they was trying to figure out their rotations, Master T. Um, listen. No. <laughs> I I understand that you was you was the guy you stepped up um when Trey Sermon got hurt in the national championship game and you, you got some run last year. I think that run is over. Um unless one of these other young studs get hurt, I, I think that run might just be over and you might be in the transfer portal next week. Um <laughs> or the, uh, at the end of the season next or something. Week. I mean <laughs> I say next week, because you know how they get mad, man. They get frickled, and then they be like, oh, I'm out of here, transfer, blah, blah, blah. Um, But, <laughs> listen, listen. Hey, th- those two guys, Henderson and Williams, I, I think they're going to get the job done for Ohio State this year. I think those two guys are going to get the job done. Teague, I'm sorry, six carries for 29 yards. It's a reason why. Um, and, yeah, yeah, we don't, I don't know about that. Um, as far as the Ohio State defense, right, it's some cause for concern. It is some cause for concern. Yes, it is. And this is why I say that team remind me of the 2020 Alabama team early in the season when Alabama played Ole Miss, for example. Like, that that defense couldn't find a way to stop Ole Miss. It was just, hey, hey Kiffin, just open it all up. Just do what you got to do. Well, I, I don't know if Ohio State will play teams, that many teams in the Big Ten that distress them out like that. But for the first game of the season, you, you got a good glimpse of what you're going to get. Defensive line was pretty good. I, I didn't think the pass rush was all that impactful. But, hey, when they got to Morgan, they got to Morgan. Um, we seen the fumble that was caused by, uh, what's his name, number five, um, Zach Harrison. We seen the fumble that was caused by Zach Harrison. Um, and then Haskin Garrett's pick it up. And listen, you said this before the show, Big Boy was moving. He was moving, folks. Oh, my God. He picked that thing up. Listen, he looked like the running back in the first quarter when he was running in the wide open field. Nah, hey, man, he was moving. Um, So that, that, was, that was nice to see. Um, But here's the deal. I'd be remiss if I didn't, like, point out that linebacker core in the secondary line. I, I would give the secondary props, like, for what it's worth. They did their job, but... I can't say they was facing like a super talented wide receiver core either. Um, so they they I think they benefited from the fact that they was playing a team that didn't have a crazy um wide receiver core. But those linebackers, they got some work to do in that linebacker. They hey, Muhammad was hey, he was out here. Listen, yeah. them linebackers was getting carried down the field, folks. I mean, with the one of the linebackers, number 30, his name was Simon. It should be Simon Backpack. Because he was out here getting carried like it's the first day of school. Simon um, says get ran over. Yeah, Simon says, hold on for life. You know? <laughs> hold on for your dear life. That's what Simon said, right? <laughs> um, but th- those linebackers, they, I think uh, 
I, I think they got a good lesson in this. This is real deal. This is the real deal. Uh, yeah, you Ohio State got it, boom. But these some these teams gonna come to play. Um. So with that said, to um cap it off, man. Listen, Ohio State got some work to do. I do think it, it's still a good win for the first game of the season. You did. You had to go into hostile territory. It was to max capacity the crowd was beautiful it was good to see a full live crowd at a college football game again um and listen i i, I now here's the thing right because you know i i got what people saying about ryan day being a risk taker and, and all of that but i'm starting to wonder because pj fleck made a comment i'm gonna make them coach and i think when he he did make them coach and he made them sweat when Ohio State plays a team that has similar talent, I, I just I think Ryan Day gets a little more suspect when they play a team that have equal or you know better talent. They ain't gonna play too many teams with better, but equal talent, right? I, I do look at Ryan Day a little funny on the light because he does seem to like wiggle and squirm a little bit, and then I guess he remembers I have the better team. And then they, they tend to get back into the mix. But first game of the season, I guess you can't be too critical. But, you know, hats off to P.J. Fleck for, you know, at least giving us a game worth watching. And then hats off to Ohio State winning in hostile territory. Yeah, I guess my my bottom line up front for this game would be, and for, for Ohio State, because they're obviously the headliner being uh, ranked fourth in the country is if you kind of survey the rest of the Big Ten, because I think the, we, we agree on, we kind of look at Ohio State with, especially their defense and the back end. And if I'm going off what, what Joel Klatt said, they got a they got a nice defensive line. Their defensive line is pretty stout. Um, and they gonna hold up well. Not so not so sure about the rest of them, although I, I do I do like Josh Proctor. That, that, dude, that dude flashes around the field. Uh, but Minnesota, Obviously, you know, if, if this was the Minnesota of a couple of years ago with Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, I, I think it's a different story because you combine those two guys with Muhammad Ibrahim uh, and Tanner Morgan. I mean, Tanner Morgan, like what he's 18 and nine as a starter now. This is a guy who's won a lot of games and I, I've I've generally been impressed with what he can do. But he, he it looked like he didn't have a whole lot of a chance last night because, yeah, you're right. Like the ball wasn't getting that on time. And normally that's because your receivers just ain't. They, they, they're unable to get open. Um, mm -hmm. And Joel Klatt says, oh, this secondary, I think they might be a little of a weak link. Well, I mean, I guess they held up relatively well because Minnesota's weaponry ain't all that in full force. So what I'm thinking is, and I'm looking around the best of the rest of the Big Ten, and I'm trying to think of, well, who is going to be able to exploit that? Because typically most Big Ten teams are, they, they normally go ground and pound, you know, like, right like Penn State with Sean Clifford. Is, is he the guy that you think is going to, you know, air it out and, and beat up this Ohio State secondary? I'm not sure about that. Uh, is Michigan going to be able to give you anything? I don't even know what they're doing. We, we know Wisconsin historically is just, that's a, that, that, I mean, it, it's just a running back factory. The, the quarterbacks are like, you know, God, the, the names Alex Hornibrook come into play, and you're just like, oh, this ain't it. Like they, you get in the third and five, and like, oh, just run the ball, you know. So I'm just looking at that. The top contenders in the Big Ten, I'm not sure if Ohio State's deficiencies will 
at least yes. what, what appears to be their deficiencies right now will really hurt them in the Big Ten. Of course, that remains to be seen. But I do think, based on what we saw last night, this is a team that can make the college football playoff. But based on what I saw last night, I don't know if they can win a game in the college football playoff. Because when you take when you take what they did last night and you stack them up against a Clemson or an Alabama or a Georgia or some of these other, you know, these top flight teams who we believe we could very well see in a college football playoff, um, they're going to be able to exploit you. You know, if you got a legitimate weakness um, in the linebacking core, if you got a if you got some corners who are real young and inexperienced. Um, so that is where up front I would be somewhat worried. Um, I'm, you know, I. But it, it is only one game. You can look at it either way. The one way to look at it is say, you know what? We went in week one on Thursday on the road. We won by double digits. Uh, we, we took care of business and we didn't play our best. Of course, the other way to look at it is say, because I think this CJ Stroud, I don't want to be too hard on the guy in his first start at 19 years of age and all that. Uh, but I, I didn't think he was all that good in the first half. He uh, he missed. So he had some uh, some bad misses because you I think you uh, illustrated quite well. Ohio State receivers, whether it was uh, Alave, whether whether it was Garrett Wilson. I mean, these guys were just these guys were getting open seemingly every single time. And he just had some bad misses. Um, so. But he did, to give him credit, he did play well in the second half. Their receivers, Ohio State receivers, continued to get open, and then he starts hitting. And, of course, so many explosive plays for Ohio State. I, I don't know what – this Minnesota defense, I guess, they, they don't appear to be very good. Um, it looks like Minnesota, to me, it's Muhammad Ibrahim. I, I do like Tanner Morgan, but it's just like I guess he just ain't got a – he don't have all that much to work with. Um, although I do like the transfer from Texas A&M, Dylan Wright had a nice touchdown catch, uh, but it's it, it doesn't appear to be the same. Um, and just if I'm looking at Minnesota, you know, a couple years ago in 2019, they had that great start. They were undefeated. Then they beat Penn State. That opened a lot of eyes. They kind of fell off after that. But we were looking at them as like another Big Ten team that could be like on that next level, along with right. your Penn States and Wisconsin's and teams like that. So I mean. It'd be great for them to continue to move along in that direction. But especially now, if Ibrahim is like seriously like compromised, probably not going to happen this year. Uh, but uh, but that, that's kind of my, my big my big takeaway is obviously for Ohio State. Based on that game, that's a team that can win the Big Ten. But it don't look like obviously we got to see what everybody else looks like. Uh, but based on that, that don't look like a team that's going to win the college football playoff. All right, so moving on to the professionals, uh, NFL. Uh, listen, so, you know, Tom Brady got a lot of titles. You know, the GOAT, uh, TV 12, you know. But, you know, we got to add another one. He's a defensive activist now. Um, today, he appeared on the Bucks team website, um, him and some of the other players. And they was just, you know, going over some topics, shooting some, you know, Things that they, how they thinking about today's NFL. And then Tom Brady just hit everybody with the doozy. And basically he said, I feel like they penalize defensive players for offensive mistakes. Now, when you first hear that, you're like, what in the boop is Tom Brady talking about? But he did give a, a more elaborate um, explanation. So like he said, if a quarterback 
misses a blitz assignment or if the uh, you know if the offensive line misses their assignments and the ball comes out what what does the defensive player supposed to do just let the player run past him he don't supposed to drop the lead drop the wood as, as I, I think he said so with that said those with those brief overviews with that said jay I know this surprised you that Tom Brady said it, but my question is, was he right or wrong? No, I think I think he was absolutely right. This has um, kind of been my sentiment for many, many years. I mean, if you go back, probably I would say um, within the past two decades of, of professional football, drink, I can, I can only think of one rule change that has benefited defenses and you feel free to, you know, let me know other ones if you have them. But the only rule I can think of that benefited defenses is you will recall, I'm sure they used to have a term for, um, they used to have a, a term called force out where if a defensive, okay. if a defensive player uh, pushed a receiver out of bounds and he, and he landed out of bounds, the referee could like say, Oh, you forced him out. So if you didn't force him out, he would have got both feet in. That's a catch. They used to have that. They used to have force outs. They did away with that. So now it's not a thing anymore, which obviously helps defenders. I, I would say the, another one that just came to my mind is maybe the crackback block. Um, they don't okay. allow that on defenders yeah. no more. Right. So okay. I just throw that okay. out there. True, true. That's a good one. That's a good one as well. Also, big deal on special teams as well. But I think, but but by and large, you know what I'm saying. Like most right, of the right, rule changes, you. most of the rule changes have definitely benefited offenses. Um, some of that, I mean, some of that player safety, I guess. But some of it is just the fact of the matter is, um, the NFL and in most leagues, NFL is not specific to this, but most leagues want to see more scoring. You know, they think fans want to see more scoring, um, and we certainly have gotten that. Um, so I would say, you know, I think. You know, guys that actually, you know, pay attention and, and watch this game a little bit more, you know, than the casual fan understand this. It is it's refreshing to hear this from, you know, the GOAT, as we call him, with the seven rings and all the accolades and all the rest. It's refreshing to hear someone like that say this and, you know, tell it like it is, because I think I, I think this is something that we can all see, you know, because, you know, whether you're looking at, you know, I think Tom Brady's comments what I understand is primarily talking about how this affects receivers and now how defensive backs and linebackers over the middle have to be careful how they hit players because you got the defenseless uh, receiver rule and all that. So, you know, you can't hit them too hard. I mean, in some cases, do you hit them at all? Do you just carry them around and throw them in the end zone and let them score? You know, what do you, what do, you do? We've seen, you know, safeties, you know, safeties sometimes be in the worst positions ever. I mean, they're the instincts say, and I'm sure, you know, some of these guys, they've been in football for so long. Hey, you playing defense, your job is to stop that guy. Don't care how mean, nice, hard, soft, whatever it is. He, he don't get past you. And now, you know, some of the rules, it's hard to do now. But also think about not only the, the defensive player with the receivers, quarterback, quarterbacks have benefited. They've been the biggest beneficiary. I would say, because, you know, it used to be, you know, you didn't have the quote unquote strike zone to where you could hit quarterbacks. And they started up top. They said, oh, you can't hit the quarterback high. You can't hit him. You can't get a blow to the head. And then, so what did, what did defenders start doing? Oh, they start going low. So now you got them going low and you have a situation where Tom Brady actually 
tears his ACL back in 2008, courtesy of uh, say, uh, say a blitz and safety, Bernard Pollard. Um, the NFL had actually uh, banned low hits to the quarterback in 2006. This, the injury happened in 2008. The NFL came out and clarified. They clarified the rule the very next year and said, okay, if you're a defender and you're on the ground, unless you got blocked to the ground or you got hit to the ground or whatever, but if you just, like, I guess if you just trip and fall into the dude, that's on you and that's going to be a penalty. That, that, that rule, that got clarified largely because of what happened to Tom Brady because the NFL values its, super, its superstars and the quarterbacks have more impact on the game than any other position in professional sports, you know? So, you know, you, you get, you get what, um, you get what the NFL is getting at in some aspect, but it's still, uh, it's still difficult, difficult for defenders because now you said, Oh, you can't hit them not high. Now you can't hit them low. So you got the smallest little window to hit these guys. And with that in mind, maybe it's maybe we shouldn't be all that surprised that we're seeing quarterbacks play longer and longer and longer. Now we got Derek Carr out here talking about, yeah, I think I can play time 42 or whatever it is. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sure. Maybe you can. John Gruden still going to be looking at you like you a question mark, too. And still wouldn't have tra- he still won't have traded you, you know. So but I think, look, I think Tom Brady's, you know, 1000 percent right with this. I think it's refreshing to hear an offensive player actually, you know, be honest about it and, um, you know, at least verify what we can see with our own eyes. Now, of course, I am going to say, I, I doubt Tom, it's real easy for Tom Brady to say, you know, in his twilight years when he right. has reaped the benefits of all these rule changes. Um, so if, you know, I, I don't know if they ask them, hey, well, would, would you, you know, do away with some of these rules and make it a bit harder on yourself? I, I don't know if he'd do all that. But I do, I do give him credit for, uh, shall I say, speaking the truth. Yeah, you know, for me, man, I think the biggest and obvious thing is this: um, it's it's the person that's sending the message. You know, um, it's Tom Brady, man. It's the goat. Um, listen, it wasn't like we had, you know, um, you know, Kyler Murray out here saying this. You know, what I'm saying like it was this a guy with or Derek Carr? Yeah, I don't know what Derek Carr is talking about. You won't be in the league long enough. But you know, it's. Do, do, to have, you know, the, the GOAT, the guy with the resume that he has. Listen, I got it. It is a little bit of, oh, now you feel that way, huh? Oh, okay. We hear you, Tom. It's funny you feel that way now. But that's that's how it is. Like, if you actually think about it, a lot of these old older, like, Hall of Famers, they always complain about what's happening now because their time is gone. But the argument has always been made. If you played now, would you really feel that way? Or you just feel that way because of the era you played in? Well, it's no different. Tom Brady, what Tom Brady did was no different. Yeah, we, yeah, was it a little bit of smoke and mirrors? Like, come on, Tom. But he's not wrong. We've been saying this for years. Like, me and you were talking about this before the show. I, I honestly think the hardest position to play in the NFL is cornerback. Because you, you literally, what rules do you get to help you outside of offensive pass interference? And good luck getting that one. Like, you, you, you're on an island by yourself. More than not, that the, the skill position, whether it's a tight end or wide receiver, they, it's the professional league. So you, you got to believe they're going to be, you know, some, some alphas there. And they get to do whatever they want to you. And the minute you touch them, it's a flag. And you're out there by yourself. You half of the cornerbacks you never see in the huddle ever. 
because they just walk from the sideline, go to their position, and they're there until the plate get ran, right? Um, so I'm, I'm a big component of, of believing, like, what, what Tom is saying. Like, it is it's un, it's unfortunate to for me to tell a safety, hey, I need you not only to lay the wood, but I need you to stop, think, see where the ball at, make sure you know where your head is at, look up. If the ball is on the left, go for the elbow. The ball is on the right, go for the shoulder. Don't hit them in this zone. You know what I'm saying? Don't hit them in this zone. We're going to try to avoid this. Please don't hit them in the head. Like, it's just a lot. Like, at, at the end of the day, the safety is like, how, do I even supposed to tackle him? Like, I don't – what if I just try to – Yeah, I think, this, I think the defensive backs in general, but I think the safeties have paid the biggest price because now you're saying – at least – at least from the cornerback's perspective, their job like hasn't changed at all. Like it, it's definitely harder for them to get things done against wide receivers. But mm -hmm. safeties, especially guys like think about like a Troy Polamalu or even a Cam Chancellor from a few years oh, ago. You know, part uh, of those, yeah, part of the part of those guys is like game is the fear they can instill in you. You know, where you come over the middle, you're gonna pay a price. Right. Today's no, today's yeah. NFL is it's a lot harder to do that because you got to be so much more precise. And now because of those rules, wide receivers, I would venture to say, are, you know, probably a little bit more brave going in there because they know, you know, anytime they get hit, they could get 15 more yards. Right. So, no, and I, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. So I, I think I, I, what I'm hoping is, right, that, okay, the NFL heard this. And they actually do go back to the drawing table and say, how can we make this a little more fair? Because, like, Tom Brady is right. If the quarterback not doing their job and, uh, and they miss an assignment and then the offensive line miss an assignment and they just decide to throw the ball in the middle, like, how is that fair to the defensive player for doing their job? Like, it, so the defensive player doing his job, he get penalized. The offensive player don't do their job and they get rewarded. So that's kind of the message that you're sending. So I do appreciate Tom Brady for bringing that up. And listen, like I said, I hope they change the rules. But at the end of the day, man, you know, <laughs> I mean, the game is the game. And like you said, it's been very middle school rules to benefit the defense. And I just don't see that happening because, like you said, offenses put butts in the seats. Defenses win championships. But you got you to gotta have people that want to see you because – you know, I, I haven't seen too many Super Bowl winning teams have an empty stadium. You know what I mean? So, with that, with that said, like, you, it's a give or take thing, but it's a business. And, and, and the NFL and, you know, college football and everybody, they're into, they're into making money. And the offense helped them make money. All right, so we're we going back to college. Jay, this might sound familiar, baby. It sound like something that we was talking about not too long ago. Probably one of our best performing um, video segments. Um, the Big 12 expansion. And, and we talked about if it was a possibility that the ACC could, uh, the AAC um, could replace the Big 12 or, or, you know, the Big or the Big 12 would have to merge or some, you know, of that sort with the AAC to stay alive. As we see it now, um, they, they say that formal invitations would be sent out to four teams. Um, in the AAC conference, that's well, that's UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. I don't think BYU is in the AAC. I think BYU no. is an independent. 
Um, so three, that's three from the AAC and then one independent. Um, I think those are the four best choices out of all the teams. I mean, some would probably say, what about Boise State over BYU? Maybe, give or take, but I, I don't have a problem with those four teams being the four teams that's in the mix. So with that said, is this enough for the 12 to stay afloat and remain and to keep their spot as a power five and, and, and maintain the respect of the rest of the college football nation. First of all, I just want to get a quick point out the way because I can always hear it. You know, you got the little your keyboard warriors out there typing up right now. See, I told you they weren't going to do that merger. You were going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, by the way, I never said they would do a merger. I'm pretty sure. I said that's what I thought they should do. I still think some sort of merger which would be mutually beneficial to the Big 12 and the AAC would be something I would like to see. However, it doesn't look like we're going to get there. But to your question, I do think this would be enough. I do think those are enough quality programs. I do think there is an argument for a Boise State to come in there, maybe a Memphis. I mean, if you're the Big 12, I mean, I know it's say Big 12, but do you got to stop there? I mean, ain't like the Big Ten stopped at 10 teams, you know, the Pac-12, they ain't gonna stop at 12 if they if they don't have to. So uh, maybe you look at, you know, adding a little bit more to just add some insurance because you never know, SEC might come for Oklahoma State next year. We don't know. So, right. but I do think, I do think this is enough quality. I think Cincinnati definitely with where they at right now, BYU is a, a really good program. UCF has fallen off a little bit lately, but now, yeah, look, Gus Malzahn, I think Gus Malzahn is probably maybe the most person that's thrilled about this because instead of, you know, the banishment to the SEC to the AAC, oh, I just slide back into the Big 12 and we back to do, right. doing something. Right. So I like this, obviously, for the Big 12, this would be somewhat beneficial. I think when you line all these teams up and you put them on par with the Pac-12, that's a legitimate argument, I believe. Um, I do think the Pac-12 got the top, a few top dogs. Like, I, I'm taking Oregon. I'm taking USC probably. But then after that, it probably get a little bit more interesting, especially with this, uh, presumably, this depth that the Big 12 is going to add. The problem with this is obviously for the AAC. The AAC just going to be like, well, man, we built, we built this thing up as far as we could do it, and now we're just going to lose all that good programs and we back hey. to being just nothing. Because the AAC is like – we kind of look at the, I look at the AAC kind of as they, you know, you got the power five, you got the group of five, the AAC is like right in the middle and they like, you know, pressing to the power five, trying to break in there and it's going to throw them all the way back into the heap of junk. It, it, it's almost like a startup, right? Like you start, yeah. like you, you build something, you start it up, you get some momentum, boom, boom, boom. And then a big company like, Hey man, we want to buy you for like two point. Right, and then they take you, and then that—that's what it sounds like. The AAC work their way up. Big Twelve's like, "Hey, man, we'll give you this much money for your your project." Okay, cool. <laughs> and then it's like, "Well, hope I can build another one." Good luck with that. But yeah, I I do think I do think this is enough. These four, um, maybe you add one or two more. I think it's enough. They they keep their power five status. Um, it is an uphill battle because it's not like I don't think any of those programs can replace what Oklahoma does for them. Uh, but it will keep them in play, and at least you have some sort of argument with the Pac-12. Um, yeah, I, I think, first of all, and this is what we was trying to say before we got attacked by the Big 12 conference fans. <laughs> um, well, what, what we was trying to say was, 
listen, I, I know I said replace them, but and I know the Big 12 got these big stadiums and they make more money and the AAC don't make enough money and all. If you were so great, why is Texas and Oklahoma leaving? Ooh. What if the Big 12 is so great, right? This is what the Big 12 fans don't want to hear. Like, you know, oh, we we do this. We can sit 100,000 people in the Okay. So why would Texas and Oklahoma leave that? Only to join a conference that could do the same thing, right? But it's a reason why they're leaving. Because clearly... To where both of those schools are going to hold more L's now. So that's what I'm saying. Like, so if it's so great, please tell me. I mean, yeah, yeah, you do have that benefit. Yeah, you do have the revenue that the AAC don't. But that don't automatically mean, oh, you guys are so much greater than them. That just means you had a better head start than them, if you want to be real. How old is the AAC conference? How old is the Big 12 conference? Like, all that matters when you're talking about the grand scheme of things. That that matters. But that's neither here nor there. As far as the expansion go, I love the teams that they pick. Like I said, they want to throw in a Boise State. I ain't mad at that. If they wanted to go out, and I'm, I'm surprised. I don't know why we didn't get a SMU up in this thing with them being right there in Dallas. I don't know, but I thought SMU should have been a shoe-in for this. Maybe, maybe they wasn't as attractive, or maybe they didn't really want to come as much as we thought. Maybe they feel like, hey, we like what we got going on here over at the AAC, so we, we'll stay here. I don't know. But I, I thought I thought SMU would have been one of the teams. Like you said, though, we could have more teams getting added down the road. I ain't mad at Boise State and SMU being the next two teams that get a call. Um, so I, I do think this is a they at them adding these new teams now allows us a different view of the Big Twelve. Once Texas and Oklahoma is out the way, and here's what I. Um, I did read that I thought was interesting. They were saying that BYU could end up joining the conference a year earlier than UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. At the same time, when BYU, if they come to the conference early, Oklahoma and Texas could still be with the conference when they come. So now you got to figure that out. How you going to align that? If BYU the new guys and you still got the old guys that force you to go find the new guys that still playing with you. So like, now you got to figure that out. Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you got to figure that out. But I, at, with, with that all said and done, you know, I, I like the move. And like you said, it's not far-fetched to think that Oklahoma State won't get I, – I, I think with you adding these teams, Oklahoma State probably is looking for a new suitor because you got to understand, like, the egos of some of these teams, right? Oh, well, we're the Big 12, boom, boom. Now we're bringing in all these group of five teams. I want to go to a real power five conference now. I ain't got time. Are we we out here looking like a, a overrated group of five conference now. I don't want to be part of this. I'll go take my talents to the Pac-12 or take my, my talents to the Big 10 or whatever the case might be to a legitimate power five conference. So I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. But when it's all said and done, listen, you you okay now big 12 fans now that you got these teams and you such a powerhouse let me see how these teams become a powerhouse let me see the hundred thousand stadiums that you like to remind me about uh, and the revenue that you like to remind me about now since you're so powerful because i tell you right now 
Vanderbilt probably make just as much money as most of the teams in the Big 12. And they ain't even that good at football. But you want to tell me about how, how big the brand is in the Big 12? It, I mean, you're, you're over here hanging on by dear life. And, oh, my God, we was being so disrespectful. So, you know, we had to make sure that we let the haters know we – we do know a little bit about what we're talking about because look what just transpired. Oh, my God. Look what just transpired. Look what the Big 12 just did. The conference that ain't finna go get none of those little sorry AAC teams that I've been hearing on, on our channel and, you know, throughout social media. What you call them? Keyboard warriors. You know, <laughs> got callus all on the on the tip of their fingers because that's all they do. Um Look at that. Look what you end up having to do at the end of the day. So clearly me and Jay know a little bit about what we're talking about. We ain't just running our mouths. So with that said, it's a good move. I like it. Um, and I do I do want to see how this all pans out with BYU being able to move different because they're independent. They don't belong to a conference. And then with the departure of Oklahoma and Texas and Breaking news, by the way, Virginia Tech just went up 14 nothing on North Carolina. Just wanted to throw that out there. All right, we move on in staying in college football, and this is really our first major college football weekend preview of the season. We know we had week zero last week, uh, but really, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great different thing uh, when you got some just primetime football coming up. Uh, tomorrow as opposed to the likes of Nebraska and uh, Illinois. No disrespect, <laughs> but we got some good ones tomorrow. We got five uh, top 25 matchups um, highlighted by Penn State, Wisconsin at noon uh, in the Big Ten. Then you have you got Alabama, the number one team in the country, uh, meeting up with Miami in the, I believe that's the, is that the Chick-fil-A kickoff, kickoff yeah, game? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So the Chick-fil-A kickoff game going to have two games. You got one. They always do one on Saturday and then one on Monday. Ole Miss. Ah, okay. And then we have, and the big one, the nightcap is number five, Georgia, and number three, Clemson. Big, big implications of that one all the way up to perhaps the college football playoff selection show. Drink, there's a, there's obviously more than that, but uh, just wherever you want to go, tell us, tell us what you're looking forward to this weekend. Well, you know where I'm going, where, where the first stop is. We we going to Atlanta. We going to play in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Number one, Alabama, you know, just, just so happen to be my boys. We going down there to play Manny Diaz in the Miami Hurricanes, um, also known as Transfer Portal U. Um, here's the deal, <laughs> 3.30 on ABC. We going to go down there and see what they talking about. Hey, here's a game for Miami. If Miami is going to be real, if Manny Diaz is going to do what he going to do, it's time to show. You did pretty well in the um, transfer portal. You pulled out some pretty elite talent. Let's not get it twisted. Um, I just don't think it's going to be enough, though. Uh, it, Vegas got Bama by 20 in the first game of the season. Um, and it's not like they're playing an unranked team. Like, you know, it'd be one thing we playing Louisville or Duke, you know. It'd be like, oh, oh okay, well, that's that's cool. Um, but, I mean, Miami's supposed to be a team. And, and Vegas saying uh, 19 and a half, I mean, I, I, I'm with it because this is what I had to ask myself. What have Miami done to make you believe they any different from the previous three seasons? I, I mean, every primetime game Miami has been part of in the last three seasons has ended the same dang on way. A smoking L on national TV. 
Don't even get me started on how North Carolina just ran them completely over with two running backs, and that's it. Just two dudes just building their NFL stock, just running all over Miami. Either way, let me let me stay on topic. Um, and then the second game that I'm, I'm just zooted and booted and ready to watch, number five, Georgia going to number three, Clemson. I mean, not going to number three, Clemson. They actually be playing a game in Charlotte, North Carolina at the um, Bank of America Stadium. But Clemson is considered a home team in this game. I guess with the neutral side and everything. But listen, a lot of questions will be answered in that game. That is that game will let us know, you know, is DJU the real deal? Can he command this team? Do Georgia got enough at you know at, at the wide I mean not Georgia, do Clemson got enough at the wide receiver wide receiver position to to remind us that they're Clemson? Who is replacing Travis Etienne? In that backfield. Um, and then this offensive line. Listen, we've we been like kind of like overlooking this offensive line. It's been slowly kind of taking steps back. Did did Clemson figure out some things to like did they bring back enough pl- players to make sure their offensive line is strong enough to keep DJU standing up right? Um, and then to Georgia. I listen, Georgia, this your time, man. Like, what what are we doing here? What are we doing? Like I understand that Georgia, they're going to be missing a, a, a ton of key players. I'm not going to, that, that that bothers me. The problem is, Georgia, when you get these number one classes and these number two classes and these number three classes, nobody wants to hear that boop about who's hurt. Like, the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world and the Ohio State, they don't get the excuse that somebody was hurt. They don't get that. You know why? Because they recruit at a high level. And by the way, Georgia, you recruit at a high level. So don't nobody care that you don't have Darnell Washington there. Nobody care that you're not going to have Eric Gilbert. Like, don't nobody care that you're going to be missing a couple uh, couple of other wide receivers. Hey, JT Daniels, I'm not too high on you, but you could change my mind on Saturday at 7.30. You could change my mind. Because I don't... Listen, you got beat out by Slovis over there at USC. I ain't forgot about that. Oh. He, Slovis, he took you to the woodshed over there. And matter of fact, I don't, I don't even know if Slovis is still with the program. But still, he took you to the woodshed, right? You came and transferred to Georgia. Now this your time. Your second reprieve. Can you make it happen? Now I would say this. Georgia defense, now I, I, I talk trash about that offense, but they defense is going to come to play. You, you bet your bottom dollar. And you know the funny thing, Jay? One of the impact players for Georgia on defense is a Clemson transfer. Oh, wow. Deion De- Kendrickson, I think his name is. Or Hendrickson? Ken- um, yeah, he'll, he'll be a starting um, DB for Georgia. He, he should be an impact player. So um, that's going to be quite interesting to see him sw- swap the field and be in a game this big ag- across the team that he, he made his bones with, right? Um, so... I think Georgia defense is going to come to play. I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game, and, and Vegas thinks so too because they got a minus three. Um, I, I personally, I so to give my predictions, I'm, I'm going to take Georgia 31-28 over Clemson in that game. Um, and then to the Alabama game, I'm going <laughs> to take that with about you know, 45 to 17, something like that. I'm, first game of the season, I'm coming out the box. We're going to drop Ford out the box. Because here's, here's why. I'm not just saying it because I'm an Alabama home, but here's the thing. 
with the way that COVID affected the season last year, you got a lot of guys now that has starting ability that had to kind of sit back because we brought back so many seniors last year. Now, those guys get to cut their teeth. And these ain't that it's not because they're they're not good it's just because listen alabama recruit at a high level like i said now when when the backups come in they're going to be just as good as the starters we're not used to that usually when the backups come in it's the reason why you're a backup right i think now alabama has enough depth where they can keep the pressure up on teams even if they're beating them by like 30 points they could just keep it going because they they bring it in just as good as players that's why I, I, I said that score just to let the watchers know I'm just not out here talking crazy. But the one game I didn't mention that I do think going to set a tone, we talked about Ohio State and Minnesota in the first segment. The, the game that opens up this big weekend, right, Penn State and Wisconsin, number 19 Penn State against number 12 Wisconsin. Like To the point that you made earlier, I want to see if we can see some out of these two teams that – if they were to play Ohio State, they can give Ohio State problems on defense. That's what I want to see in this game. I want to see if the if the Wisconsin quarterback can make some plays down the field and put some pressure on, on Penn State DBs. I want to see if, if, if Penn State got a run game that could, you know, put Wisconsin linebackers. Because that's what they're known for, running backs and linebackers. But I want to know if Penn State running back could put pressure on Wisconsin linebackers. Um, and... I think that would give us a better picture of what they could do against Ohio State down the road. So I think that game is important. They got a five point. They got a five five point five spread on that. Um, going for Wisconsin. So you know, I probably take that one. I, I think this this probably be a three point game when it's all said and done. And um, for that fact, I would take Wisconsin. I'm, I'm gonna take that one probably. Mm, I'm looking at that. I said three, four points. I'm looking at that being 28-24. Um, I, th I think Wisconsin will take that by four points. That's how I'm looking at that one. And then you got Indiana and Iowa. Listen, oh, Iowa. My boy, Kirk Ferentz. Man, let me tell you, man. That's my boy up there, Mr. Slippery himself. Um, Indiana, you know, number, seven, number 17, Indiana. We want to see if uh, Michael Penix is really what we seen last year or if that was just a COVID uh, ripping snip. Um, we want to see if he could come back. And, and make Indiana relevant like they was last year, right? Um, they haven't been that relevant since Bobby Knight threw a chair across the court. So we want to now, we want to know if they can do that again and they get a great test with 18 Iowa at home. One thing, and I say this all the time, Iowa always get somebody at home every single year. They always get somebody at home. It's like you go in there. They got, you know, the, 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 the kids, you do the wave to the kids, and for some reason, they amped them up, and they always sneak somebody in and beat somebody they don't supposed to be at home. Um, so they got that game by four points. I, I, I think I will win that one by a field goal. I'm looking at that. I don't think this is a high-scoring affair by any means, even though Indiana does bring back a pretty good wide receiver call. They, I, I, I like a couple of guys, Fry Fogel and a couple of other guys. Um yeah, like, they, they got some guys for Indiana, but I just think with it being the first game of the season and it's been on the road, they probably, you know, be stuck in the mud, you know, struggle a little bit. So um, that, that game right there strikes me as old, like, to be honest with you, like a 21-17 like 17 game, something like in that ballpark. So, um, and then... And then this this one on Fox, right? Louisiana, number twenty three, Louisiana at uh, number twenty one, Texas. 
This is another game that's based off of COVID. Because if it wasn't for COVID, are we really talking about Louisiana? Are we really talking about Louisiana? How many times have we talked about the Raging Cajuns before COVID? Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I do, uh, I know somebody like yelled at me through social media the other day. You know how many starters they bringing back? You know how many starters everybody bringing back? Like, LSU bringing back damn their whole team last year. Like, everybody's bringing back starters. This ain't, COVID messed everybody up. So they're not the only unique team that's bringing back uh, uh, Zorbit Mountain starters. Billy Napier has built something in Louisiana. I'm not going to take that from him. I just don't think, you know, they, they got Texas by nine. I think it should be a little greater. I think Steve Sarkeesian is going to, listen, he's going to draw up some stuff and some stuff. But I also think Steve Sarkeesian is going to understand this is Texas, not Alabama. Yeah, like not to, not to say that Texas don't have talent because they do, but Texas might not have the structure that Alabama has, and that matters. Um, so they got Texas by nine. I think Texas should win. I do think this game will be a little closer because Steve Sarkeesian, first first time being a head coach in a while, like a, a legitimate. I ain't talking about that one game sabbatical he pulled last year against Auburn. I'm talking about actually being a head coach of his own team. Um, Billy Napier, he's he's smoking hot right now. They trying to he he win this game. They might be like, hey, go ahead, get him over to the Power Five. Go and get him to the SEC. There's a couple teams that gonna fire their coaches at the end of the year, no matter what. Get go and get him over there. So uh, he got his boys playing. I think this will be a good game. I don't think nine points. I, I don't think I don't think Texas cover. Um, I, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Texas to win, but. I, I see them winning about maybe about probably about two field goals. Like two, yeah. I see them winning by like six points. Um, uh, a bit of a high score in the field though. I, I do see like a lot of like gimmick plays that 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 get going. So I'm gonna take that 35. Yeah, about 35-29. So I'm gonna say something like that in that ballpark. Um, for for Texas. So yeah, man. That's my outlook on those five games. Powerhouse weekend. College football is back, baby. I don't even think I need to look at the rest of the schedule, the rest of the season, to say that I think Georgia and Clemson is going to be the most single consequential game of the entire season, especially no question from a non-conference perspective. Like when you when you look at like how you know teams in one conference stack up against a team in another conference, particularly when you're talking about you know, who's vying for that, you know, that fourth and final spot. And you have perhaps a, um, you know, a, one an SEC team against a Big Ten team. Who's going to make it in? Well, this is the type of game you look at, the perfect measuring stick for the head-to-head. Um, you know, whoever wins this game got a major, major leg up, um, you know, for down the line because these are two teams, obviously, at least in the preseason, that uh, they should be around the CFP to the end. If you look at it, um, much like we've been talking about Clemson for the past several years, this is an instant resume builder for them because we all know in the ACC, limited opportunities, even though we do understand Miami, North Carolina, but don't forget those teams in the coastal, Clemson plays in the Atlantic. So the Atlantic, we know Florida State, they, they trying to do their build back better or whatever they call it down there. Um, and then, you know, but when you look at the rest of the Atlantic division, I mean, there's not, I don't think there's a whole lot going on. Um, so this is absolutely 
probably a bigger game for Clemson just because Georgia down the line is going to play, you know, some of the powerhouses. They're going to play Florida. They'll have a few games against the SEC West. And, of course, if they make it um, through the SEC East, you know, they'll beat, they'll meet likely, you know, in Alabama or, dare I say, a Texas A&M. We don't know. Mm. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But Georgia will get more opportunities to bounce back from it. Um, but either way, uh, I'm, I, it is a huge opportunity for, for Georgia. Um, Clemson, you know, you kind of you kind of don't know what to make of them. And the, the, remember the last time we saw them, you brought the offensive line. Ohio State was getting in the backfield, and they uh, Trevor Lawrence was uh, he was having some difficulty back there. Um, so if if that offensive line, you know, if they haven't you know kind of patched up them holes and you know put in put in some repair kits, might be might be <laughs> tough because we know we know how Georgia plays defense. You know Georgia. You know, year in and year out. I mean, this is a this is a top five unit, and especially in this age of college football, where offenses, even the Alabama now, offense kind of carries the day. Georgia played their defense is their calling card. So definitely, if you talk about if you're talking about a low scoring affair, I would lean Georgia. Um, maybe in a shootout, maybe uh, maybe Clemson. You give the edge to Clemson, but something tells me I do like Georgia in that game. We'll see how JT Daniels does, but. Um, that could this kind of be? I'm looking at Clemson with no Trevor Lawrence, um, no Travis Etienne. That's a huge deal. I mean, these guys been in the backfield for they were back there for three years together. Um, right. So now, you know, we we know you got DJU. What what else do you have? So we'll we'll see how it goes. I, I'm looking at the the second game. I'm looking at is that big noon contest, Penn State and Wisconsin for obvious for obvious reasons. You know, we always looking at who can challenge uh, Ohio State. And I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you for for that game and for the the other game in the Big Ten, Indiana Iowa, the road teams are the one worth watching. I'm gonna tell you because listen, if Wisconsin wins that game, I'm gonna be out here yawning because I, I I'm gonna tell you there ain't no way you you're not gonna be able to convince me at least right now. Oh yeah, Wisconsin's ready for Ohio State. Oh yeah, well who they got throwing the football? Because Wisconsin every year they come out there with that ground and pound routine. And then they meet up with Ohio State. Ohio State, they got the explosiveness. That ground and pound is great and all, but Ohio State come out there with the athletes and they just run them up and down the field. They run by them. So I'm looking at Penn State. Penn State, show us something. Sean Cliffy Cliff, do some stuff out there. Let's hit some, throw some pineapples over the top. Let's get it cooking. <laughs> Give us some hope that you can do it because no disrespect to Wisconsin, but I've seen this movie too many times before. And the same thing, the same thing can be said down there, um, down there in Iowa when Indiana moves in to take on the Kirk Ferences. Look, if if Indiana going there and Iowa going in and get it done, we're gonna be out, I'm gonna be out here yawning again because all it means is Iowa's gonna coast on to some eight and five record. They'll go out there and they'll play in the Potato Bowl or the the new and improved Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, or whatever. And you know, Kirk Ferentz will get another two year extension. It'll be all gravy. He'll put another tight end in the NFL. We know right. the team. No, 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 not, not just the NFL. He's gonna have two first rounders, baby. You know? <laughs> but look, listen. If Indiana wins that game, I look at Indiana the same way I did Minnesota two years ago. Minnesota came out there. They was in the top 10 of the CFP rankings. We looked at them. We was starting to take them seriously. Indiana was like, they was the second team in the Big Ten last year. They had us kind of hyped. They they had the Big Ten yeah. up there, like, you know, itching and scratching. Like, oh, my God, we're going to have to change the rules. I don't think Ohio State going to play enough games with the COVID and all that. Are we really going to – Indiana, they going to go to the playoff? What is happening? 
Man, remember like Indi- and Indiana gave Ohio State a really good game. If you remember, yo, that, I, oh yeah, Michael Penix had him and Fryfogel. Li- listen, Fogel, yeah, uh, like they they man, listen, and that's why I said earlier, man, like it. I just hope it wasn't just the effect of COVID. I hope that was a real thing, and then we're gonna find out if it's a real thing this season. But that's why. But that's why I say the road teams. I'll be watching the road teams. I'll be if we can get one of those teams, and hopefully, hopefully both of them. I like to see Indiana and Penn State win both those games because if they if they can get off to a good start, it tells you something to like. Okay, maybe we do have some against Ohio State. Not not so much really on Wisconsin and Iowa for me, but uh, Alabama and Miami. I mean. Obviously, that would, would be more of a headline if I, if I was willing to take Miami more seriously. I'm not sure about it. I know they got all the transfers in the world. Derek King coming back for the swan song. He the sixth-year senior or whatever he doing. Uh, obviously, we know how electric he is, but, I mean, it is Alabama. I know they got a new quarterback, Bryce Young, but, look, this is Nick Saban. Um, you know, the reports of his demise, obviously, a couple years ago when you thought Clemson was taking over, where it looked like they was greatly exaggerated. Um, they obviously they lost a lot of talent over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I'm anxious to see what they do. You know about that great quartet of receivers. They all gone now. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's Alabama. You know, the media and the coaches said, yep, put a one up there with them. So they there's obviously something there. So obviously I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if Alabama goes in there and handles them big. The big thing, I guess, for Miami, you know, when you're looking at uh, being a, you know, about a 20 point underdog, you know, I don't think if you're Manny Diaz, you necessarily, you know, obviously you want to come in there and win the game. But I think the bigger deal is, hey, let's come out here and let's compete and let's not get, you know, let's not get embarrassed. You know, let's right. let's prove that kind of, you know, you playing a number one team, obviously probably no one really expects you to win the game. But you come in there and you play them tight, you know, that'll that'll do just as much for you as if you, you know, was to, you know, beat some doormat week one of the season, you know, so... Go out there, play hard, play together, take care of the football, and um, you know validate that 14, that uh, top 15 ranking that you've got. And of course, the other one, Texas, Louisiana. Um, you know, you would think that you know Texas, Steve Sarkeesian coming in there. You know, let's get a quick win. But hey, uh, it's Louisiana, and they rank. You know, whether we believe it, believe it, <laughs> believing in them or not, whether it's COVID or not. Um, you know, that's a non-conference. That's a Group of Five game, but. Uh, you know, no time to like take them for granted. You know, you got to come in there, got to take it serious, and uh, you know, definitely. But also, it's an opportunity. You come out there, you handle your business, and you uh, get a big win. Hey, we beat a top twenty-five team. We're off to, we're doing stuff out here. Um, and then, you know, I, you know, I've been a little caught on Steve Sarkeesian because as a head coach, you know, we ain't seen much from him. You know, we got uh, whatever he did in Washington, came back to USC, whatever issues he had. Obviously, got a great reputation as, as an offensive coordinator. I, I love watching what he did at Alabama last year. Um, but look, it just remains to be same. And one final note, uh, Cincinnati ranked eighth in the country, and they plan on ESPN+. Plus. So, uh, dis- <laughs> disrespect. <laughs> I never. That's yeah, disrespectful. Fox, Fox, take all the Cincinnati games. ESPN is out here trifling. All right, time to finish off the show with rap reactions. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Take it away, drink. Let's roll, baby. Four-time All-Star forward Paul Millsap has signed a free agent deal with the Brooklyn Nets. What kind of impact do you see him having, Jay? Uh, he'll have somewhat of an impact. I mean, you, you never can have too many uh, All-Star All-Star selections, you know, joining your team. He's obviously at an advanced stage, 36. I mean, I look at him as a guy maybe playing 15, 20 minutes a game now. 
Um, still can come, step out and shoot a three. Still got a diversified offensive game, veteran rebound. But probably, uh, you know, it's there's a, there's a lot of old dudes. You know, you talked about the Lakers, you know, with the AARP club. It looked like the Nets maybe trying to catch up with them. More right. Nets news is Brooklyn has traded center DeAndre Jordan and four future second round picks and more than $5 million to the Detroit Pistons in exchange for Jaleel Okafor and a player to be named later because we just can't say the dude's name. Uh, Drink, what do you make of this move? Uh, DeAndre Jordan must uh, got the dirty photos. Um, you know, I, I talk about the dirty photos. Listen, I don't know how this dude, first of all, got signed to Brooklyn from the start. Got traded to Brooklyn, just sat on the bench, rode a gravy train. And now he's getting traded to the Pistons, which pretty much essentially trading him to the Lakers. Well, he's going to sign with the Lakers for $2.6 million for one year. So this guy's going to go in the offseason. He's going to go from the Nets, which people consider the favorite, and then to the Lakers, which people consider the favorite in the West. So you went from the overall favorite to the favorite in the West. And you ain't done nothing since you was a Clipper. I mean, that, that's man, that's he got the dirty picture. Washington Nationals Vice President Bob Boone has resigned from the organization rather than comply with the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for all non-uniform employees. Your thoughts? Well, it almost seems similar to, uh, I believe it was Rick Spielman of the Minnesota Vikings. You know, these older guys that have been around for a long time that, you know, you 73, you know, you've been working in, uh, you know, in front office for likely years. You know, you probably, you probably can afford to go ahead and stop working. But I'm gonna tell you, rest assured, there's plenty of other other people that likely feel this way, but they just, you know, don't have the financial staying to go ahead and like, okay, well, you know, I, I just gonna have to go ahead and comply with the, the, the mandates and all the rest because like I, I need a job, you know what I'm saying? So that, that's kind of how I see that. The Seahawks have been busy lately with a trade for cornerback Sidney Jones from the Jaguars. And they've also traded Akilah Witherspoon to the Steelers, and they've signed former Baylor basketball standout and national champion Mark um, Mark Vital to their practice squad. Which of those moves was the most significant? Did, did you say the Seahawks signed an offensive lineman? Uh, they, no. They, All right, I'm going with none of them. Then I'm going with none of them. Then <laughs> the Memphis Grizzlies announced Wednesday that they will retire the jersey of Zach Randolph and Tony Allen during the upcoming season. Do you think that jersey should be retired? Oh man, I think we're we're stretching it here, guys. This is uh <laughs> this is a case of like the Grizzlies they never retired a jersey. They obviously they haven't been around for you know a long time, and you know it's not like they sitting out here with the Lakers and they got a story history. This is just somebody in the front office is just looking for a promotion or something and just saying like, oh man, let's uh let's retire some jerseys this year and like really like tony allen the, the tony allen that probably ain't even averaged double digits for his career you know i mean maybe you can talk me into the zach randolph one and obviously i think both of them had they had a profound impact in the grit and grind era for memphis but i i, I think i think we're stretching it a little bit when we talk about retiring jerseys speaking of memphis the grizzlies have traded forward Juancho Hernan gomez to the boston celtics in exchange for guards chris dunn and carson edwards uh you care to comment on who won that trade who is Carson Edwards? I'm I'm gonna go with um that's, I'm a, that's I'm gonna go with uh that, that, I don't know if uh, you remember that's the dude that played for Purdue and played and dropped like forty against Virginia the one they won the national title I don't know if you remember that oh shoot it, clearly I don't I gotta stay off the booze <laughs> um like uh, I, I I guess I gotta go with a Herman Gomez I mean he the player that had done the most out of the three as far as NBA go um I mean neither one. Neither, 
none of these three guys have just made this profound impact. Chris Dunn was supposed to be a guy, but he fell on on the floor face first, and he ain't really done much since. Um, so I, I don't know, but I mean, I'm gonna go with Herman Goldman. So yeah, yeah, Boston won this one. As far as I'm concerned, more baseball COVID news as the Chicago Cubs president of baseball operation, Jed Hoyer, and manager David Ross have both test, tested positive. They're quarantining and have been vaccinated. What are your thoughts on this? My thoughts are uh, a lot of people testing positive that uh, are fully vaccinated. That's it. The only free agent in the NFL Network's top 100 has finally found a home as veteran linebacker K.J. Wright has signed a one-year deal with the Las Vegas Raiders. Big deal, little deal, no deal. It's no deal. No, And, and no disrespect to K.J. Wright, but you're going to sign with the Las Vegas Raiders. That's why it's a no deal. Like, if you went stay with Seattle or something, then I'd be like, hey, big deal, yeah. Because your talent is, I, first of all, just like Jay said, we didn't know how you was a free agent. That's first and foremost. Secondly, no, not only that, they didn't hit you with the Cam Newton treatment. They're just going to let you go get signed by anybody. So I'm going to say no deal because I, I just don't know what the Raiders got going on over there on the defense side of the ball. Coach quarterback Carson Wentz was activated from the COVID-19 list on Thursday and said he has not shut the door on getting the shot. He also described his thought process on the, on the vaccine as fluent. What does that mean to you, Jay? That's a nice way of saying he don't want to take it. He just don't want to admit it. That's what I see of all that. Tomorrow night, it's UFC Vegas 36, Brunson versus Till on ESPN and ESPN Plus at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. The main event is a middleweight fight between the number five ranked contender, Derek Brunson, and the number seven ranked contender, Darren Till. Drink, who you got? I'm going to take Brunson, man. Brunson, been a, he been a solid killer out here, man. He kind of, he was up there, then he kind of fell off. Then This is second, like, win. He's been looking awesome lately. And Darren Till, for what it's worth, man, he, he's not, I'm not trying to say he's a scrub, Rudy Poot, or anything of that, that nature. It's, I, I just wonder if Darren Till wants it anymore. Like, I kind of starting to think his, his, head, his head is not all the way into the, in the UFC game as of late. So I'm going to take Brunson. Um, and I'm going to take Bronson by a unanimous decision. All right. Well, that concludes tonight's episode of Drink of Wisdom. As always, like, listen, share, subscribe. We appreciate all. And we will see you next week in season three. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we going to do. Roll Tide, ladies and gentlemen. It's a Drink of Wisdom. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.